So this would be what you would receive on Monday, similar to this. Now, this is slightly different from some of the other ones you've done. If you look at the back, there's some documents that come with it. Network diagrams, which we'll go through in a sec. Um, and a con this control document about the ports and protocols and things. So we've sort of discussed that to some extent. David's doing some of it in a practical way. But again, this, this test is bringing this stuff all together. So I just want to work through today, today's session, working through how you work through this on Monday. So, and this is like as if we're doing it, I guess. So how would we approach it? And I'm just doing this as a team, as a sort of, if we're working as a company, this is the, the, the things that we would do. So if you're going for a job, this is the sort of thing that will be lumped on your desk on a Monday morning, and this is the sort of process you go through. And in most cases, you'll be working as a team with two or three other people, because they'll be people with different skill sets. All right, so, scenario then, this is, we looked at this in a different sense, but anyway, um, you're working on infrastructure technician for Willow Technology. So what is the infrastructure? How do you find that term? What is the infrastructure? Anyone? Just everything that they have there, I guess. So, like computers, sports scope, like the whole sort of layout and what Yeah, it's the physical sort of layout. Yeah. Now, remember some of the stuff we looked at, some of the other projects we've looked at, saying they've got these computers, those computers. And obviously, task two goes in a little bit more detail, saying this is looking at how the thing is physically or, or um, hypothetically set up. Remember, when in networks, you can have a physical network structure and you can have a sort of theoretical network structure or virtual structure. In college, obviously, these are the physical machines, but they are divided up into virtual private networks in order to protect the admin from people getting into the admin section and messing around with the accounts. So that's the way that stuff's sort of configured. Right, so Willow Technology currently operates from offices in Southampton and has recently opened a satellite office in York. Right, So there's a, a remote um, access aspect to this you need to start thinking about. Now what I, I, what I would do during the exam, because obviously in the exam you're going to give the same sort of thing, so spend a little bit of time reading through and making sure you understand what this scenario is before you dive into some of the other bits and pieces we're trying to do now. Alright, so there's, there's two, athletes, two offices, there's probably a main office and a satellite office, which means that one's probably going to have the facilities that the other one doesn't have and vice versa, maybe. Uh, remote workers access company resources by connecting via virtual private network, VPN, configured at the Southampton office. So the main office is Southampton, and people from the York office have to come into Southampton to do stuff. And they do that through a virtual private network. What's the advantage, or what is, what is a virtual private network? Yeah, so it gives you the access to a network if you're not physically there, right? But it gives you all the facilities of being physically there, even though you're not physically there. Now, the key thing about a virtual private network, I think we talked about before, is that it, it encrypts everything as well from end to end, and it creates tunnels between the two systems. So there's some level of security. Uh, so this is allowing access to shared files and resources. So again, this is what they need to do. They want to share resources across the two systems. Work, uh, York workers are currently treated as remote workers. Now, I'm guessing that the scenario is that they're trying to bring them in a bit more. A lot of companies will do, they'll buy out some competitor or they'll buy out some company that's for sale and they'll have to try to integrate it bit by bit. And they can't integrate it all at once, particularly if it's remotely, physically remote. So they have to do it with these various technologies. Is everyone clear on that stuff? 
Right, so basically the scenario is how is that going to work in practice. Uh, staff are complaining that access to the VPN is unreliable and is becoming more so as the company is growing. So does that sentence give you any clue about some of the problems they may be having? What kind of things could be, what, what, would, you, what would you as technicians think was, would be reliable? What would give you an example of unreliability? If you're working on your own network, what sort of signs might you see? Or what would you consider to be unreliable in a network situation? Slow, slowing down. You know, if it's if it's usually X speed and it's suddenly Y speed, then there's some problems, isn't it? Anything else? So speed is obviously a consideration. What other? What What would you consider to be unreliable? If you're working at home on your computer, what What would you, in your mind, say this is unreliable now? Anything else other than the speed changes? Cutting out, yeah, intermittent stuff. So one minute you're on the internet, next minute you're not. So it's not that reliable. Also, in terms of reliability, on this network, sometimes you try and save files and for whatever reason, there's some sort of network glitch and you can't save to the network server. So there's being able to save stuff and retrieve stuff. Sometimes you can't retrieve it properly. Um, so there are those issues. Um, and it does change things. Obviously, we're moving into the cloud. It's not mentioned on here at the moment, but that could be a consideration. But on the cloud, um, I've been toying with putting VirtualBox on the cloud and it's worked reasonably well, but all of a sudden I've lost one of the configuration files for whatever reason. Now I can't load it anymore as I've lost it. So again, there is some unreliability in, in going that route. So those sort of things you need to think about reading the scenario. Uh, so they're complaining about that. Connectivity has been lost completely and users are simply receiving the, the following error message. So cannot connect to Willow VPN. The connection was terminated by the remote computer. Right, so this is York people presumably trying to get to Southampton and been told, sorry, you can't connect. Now, if they can't connect through the VPN at the Southampton end, they can't get onto the Southampton system to do anything. Right, so that's part of their reliability. Um, so the brief, as part of your role, you are involved in a large infrastructure project, but have also been asked to support with a recurring connectivity issue faced by end users. So presumably, you're part of the Southampton office, uh, maybe that's because that's main HQ, and they said, we're not getting any reliable service here for, this, for our New York office. You need to fix the problem and find out what it is. Uh, once you've resolved the initial connectivity issue, you should research and propose an effective solution that will support the wider infrastructure project. So you've got to fix this initial problem. And like with task, task three, you've then got to re recommend some improvements going forward. Um, so you can recommend facilitating remote staff at the York office to utilise resources from the main Southampton site more efficiently. So task one, two and a half hours. 22 marks, you must read the information on all pages provided this task before starting your response. So we've got another scenario. Your line manager has asked you to investigate the issues of York staff are having. As you are working remotely, you have been provided with a topology diagram, documents A and B. Now, I don't know, I think we've covered some of this, but on a topology, you can either have a physical topology or a theoretical one, a sort of um, logical one. Right? So physically, the com computers can be connected to a switch, connected to a server, and you can actually see all that stuff. Or um, you can make it theoretical, like a virtual one, where they, they're using those resources, but they're not physically connected. So you could create them. They could be connected for four or five other devices to the server, but as far as the server's concerned, they're connected physically, even though they're not. Right? So it's a logical setup rather than an actual physical setup. Is everyone clear about the differences of that? So document A, we'll just look at these documents. So we've got document A, first of all, logical topology. 
Right? So this is not, they're not necessarily physically connected, but there is a logic to the way that this is connected. So first of all, um, moving from right to left, they're connected to the internet. We've got the cloud symbol there, so that's the internet. Um, and they're using 192.168.1.1. What kind of network is that? I don't remember. What class? Class C, yeah. How many, do you remember how many addresses that gives you? Class C. Yeah, 250, because you need one for the actual address, which is one, and one for the... There's a... Every machine on the network, machine number 254, I think, sends out a signal now and again saying, is anyone there, anyone need anything? So you need one to set up the main address location and one to send out these signals back and forth if there's printed things. All the others are dedicated to machines. And we've got an address here, 56, 76, 44, 123. What's that address? I don't necessarily expect you to know this. If on your home routers, your internal network will probably be on the same thing, 192.168, but you're connected to your service provider and they will provide you a public address that everyone else can see if you paid for it or e even to connect to. You cannot connect to your internet service provider with your internal network address because they don't know what that is. So they provide, your router will have two addresses, one for your internal machines and one for the external stuff. And when your stuff goes out, Remember I talk about when we try and connect to Nextcloud in here, Nextcloud says, no, there's, there's 300 people trying to connect with one IP address. That's a denial of service attack. So every single machine that we use in college has one address from the outside world that, that's used. And that's the same thing. So the router says, here's some stuff from this IP address, and it sends back to that, but it filters it back through. So the router makes all those decisions. It makes those decisions about how the network connects, what it does, and, and what machines it has available. Right, so the router then comes in to, and it doesn't designate what that device is, but it's more than likely what? That, switch. A switch. And so what's the advantage of a switch, or what does it do? Remember? Uh, it all systems. Yeah. Systems. And what does the, the name switch, what does that mean? Anyone remember that? It switches it to something. Yeah, it switches. So it says you want there, you want there, you want there, you want there. And it, so it keeps the speed of the internal connections uh, at the volume and speed that, it, that the switch is set at. So if it's a gigabit switch, every single port that's connected to it will get a gigabit, albeit for, for a nanosecond. Um, so from there, I'm guessing, some of these weird-looking diagrams, it's then going off to a series of, looks like a series of servers. So that stack of things is a series of servers. Uh, I think I printed enough, or is there a spare? I thought I had enough. Are there any spares at all? Maybe not. I printed So we're currently looking at, so this is, we're just looking at how to set up a network system and what's going to happen on Monday, possibly. Um, so information's coming in, the switch is then deciding. Now the switch is obviously making decisions based on what the router tells it. So the router will send in a piece of information to the switch saying this is destined for one of these servers in that stack. All right, so going down the list, the first server that's on that list, DHCP, does anyone remember what it stands for? Domain host configuration. 
Excellent. Right. So what does that mean? So does it automatically assign the IP address? It does, yeah. So dynamically, it says, right, I've got 254 addresses. I'm using 150, so you're going to get 151. Another device comes in, or you're 152. One, number one's dropped off, so I've got a spare one down here. So it, it makes decisions based on this pool of available IP addresses for machines. All right, so we've got a DHCP server, which takes those internal addresses. If anyone comes in, like a guest comes in with their Wi-Fi device, then it will actually assign an IP address for them temporarily. And it depends how it's set up. Some of them will have a leasing system. So they'll say, you've got that just for the day. So if we have guest speakers coming in, they'll get Wi-Fi for the day. When they leave, that address will be taken away and reassigned to somebody else. We've then got DNS. Anyone that? Three-letter. Why do we need that in this network? It does, but it, it adds a slightly different layer to it as well. So it adds a domain, right? So on this topology diagram, this is all mathematical numbers, isn't it? It's eight, um, 32 bit codes, 192. Blah, blah, blah. Most people don't know what those are on the outside world, or um, machines talk that language, but we don't. So domain takes that number and turns it into a series of words. So it dot something dot com dot co dot uk whatever so a domain is a is a text-based reference to a computer id um so this is obviously willow dot blah 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 so any machine that's within this internal network although it's got its physical ip address the dns server will say that's you know and you can use subdomains so that ip address might be accounting dot willow dot blah 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 or it might be this that or the other so that's what the domain name system does um, we've then got DC. I don't think we've covered that one before. Anyone guess what that might be? No, good guess. The, the D is the same as the one above. Domain controller. Controller, excellent. Yeah. You, need a you need a server that, that controls all these different things that are talking to each other. If there's, again, if you've set up a domain internally on a system, then that system needs to know who's using the printer, who's got access to these files, who can do these sorts of activities and the server then has a domain controller function saying that if we add a new machine to this domain what capabilities do they have and can they actually be part of it you might have guests that come in and you don't you just give them an ip address but you don't allow them to have any of the domain stuff because it's too too privately um, controlled um ras i'm not even sure what that is who's got a phone can look it up it could be. Not a bad guess. Can anyone look it up? So this is another mock that you've been given them. Yeah, and I'm just because obviously things happen on Monday, I'm just going through a slightly Remote different scenario. Access service. Remote access service, it must be then. Okay. Okay, so the York off this is the Southampton diagram. So this that controls who can come in and why and what they can do. So I presume there's something in, within that we'd have to have a look at in terms of this um, remote access technology. Um, and maybe there's some of the problems, although it's not listed on here, that may have some of the issues with the VPN. The VPN's not on this list, but uh, maybe it's part of that RS server. Uh, we then got a file server. Now, a file server, it doesn't list on here for this task. For task two, I think it starts listing what kind of computer systems, operating systems there are, but the file server will probably have multiple systems because 
if most most networking systems work with Windows servers and Windows has a very particular set of protocols in order to do tasks, one of the key ones, one of the main functions you want on a network is to be able to print. And print servers tend to be, Windows has a, a print service which is based on a protocol called SMB or send message block. So you send loads of files to the to print server, the print server grabs those blocks of code bit by bit and then turns them into a file and prints them out. Now, because that's a Windows proprietary protocol, in order, if you've come into a network with a Mac or a Linux machine, you need to use that same protocol in order to print to a print server because it's going to be Windows-based. So Mac has a slightly different thing. If it's, if it's a pure Mac environment, you wouldn't use SMB. They've got their own print file server print protocols. But within a mixed network, most of the stuff goes on this Samba. So the print server's file server's going to deal with that, and the print server's going to deal with those types of mechanisms. Uh, we've then got a web server, which, again, if it's a Windows, pure Windows one, it's going to be using um, I, IES, I think it's called, or I, IIS, Internet uh, Services, Interchange Service, or something along those lines. Most organisations use Apache because it's fairly straightforward. But again, we, need, we haven't got that detail yet, but there's a web server. The web server is going to actually produce a publicly available website. So the actual... Stroke College's website, I think, runs within the internal network, but it's obviously on the outside world, so it has to be translated and put out on the outside world. That's what the web server does. So, again, if, if somebody comes in through the cloud, through the router, looking for the Willow's website, they'll be addressed, sent onto the web server in order to make that file appear. And they also run internal mail. So there's a mail server. And again, I don't know what the Windows one is, but most people use... Uh, Postfix. I think that's the one of the original mail servers which is still used. It's been going for about 40-odd years, so most people use that just because it's industry standard. So all that data comes in. Packages, remember, they're coming in package by package with information within the package saying, I'm looking for the web server or I'm looking for, I want to have an address assigned to me or I want to post some files, I want to grab some files that aren't on the web server, etc. Et so all those different services are based on different web or um, server technology or there's an email coming in the email server will come in and say that's for this person in the, the Southampton office etc etc right so the other thing is then we've got a wireless access protocol device right so internally there's uh, wireless and it's got its own physical address so that's all the sort of external services that are internal and external at the same time right now, interestingly enough, this is some, something to note on this piece of paper. I don't see anything on this diagram about firewalls. Is the, is the router the firewall? In which case, it's not very secure. It's not a very good firewall for this type of organisation. So again, on the document itself, you might make a note and just write down, I don't see any firewalls. So that may be something to address later on. Maybe later on, you've got to recommend some, some fixes to this, some improvements to it. So there's no firewall. That's one key thing, I think. Right, so from the switch then we've got the internal network and we've got 20 workstations. Now on that subnet address, remember when you're configuring networks, you can actually, those 254 addresses, you can break them down into to combinations of things depending on the subnet address. And the subnet address is combinations of twos effectively. So you could have six thirties or eight tens or whatever. You can have a combination of different things. Each time you subnet the network, you lose a number of networks because you have to have a zero and a 254 or, or the same sort of thing. Remember? So even in, 
in a class C network, even though you've got 256 available addresses, two of those you automatically lose because you have to have a, a, a starting point and an end point which aren't used by any other machine. Right? If you subnet, you break that down into... So if I want to have a subnet of... Um, I've got 254 available machines out of the 256. So I've always got 0 and 254. Oh, well, 255, that's it is. One's for broadcasting information, and one is the sort of address, in, initial address of the network. All the other ones are available to me. Now, if I break down through subnetting, I could make... Um, two different networks, so I could have Again, you lose the front and the end of it. So I'd end up with 126 on that network and 126 on those, or something along those lines, right? But then I've got two separate networks, even though they're still on the same, roughly the same address, I can actually physically, or actually logically break them down into two. I could make um, three networks, four networks, five. Each time, I'm losing because I've got a zero, a beginning and an end one. Does that make sense? So if I break these down, now, on this particular one, for this one, it's got, it's using the entire lot. So the subnet is using all 24 bits of the subnet address, which means it's got all of these. So it's not broken down into any separate address. So everything in this particular network is on dot one dot something, right? So there'll be 192.168.1.1.2.3, etc. So this first one, so these they've got 20 workstations, which are 101 to 120. So they've actually, they've broken this network down. So that domain controller that set this stuff, stuff up and the DHCP server are actually saying, we've got 250 addresses, 254 addresses available. The first 100 we're reserving probably for web server addresses, for the wireless access, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these addresses... Um, Actually, that's all running on one device, isn't it? So that first one in dot one dot two is one big server that's doing everything. So again, I'd make a note against that. That's reasonably inefficient. If you've got everything on one server, that's probably not a good idea. If, if that server breaks down for whatever reason, you've lost your website, you've lost your email, you've lost everything, right? And these days, servers aren't massively expensive. And for a mail server... For, for people, there's only got, there are only 250 people in this office. You could run a mail server on a Raspberry Pi. That's powerful enough to, do, to run mail. Mail doesn't need a lot of processing. It's just taking in a text file and sending it back out again and storing bits and pieces. Right? So a note then on this one, so going in a bit more detail. Again, we're just looking at these diagrams. This is the sort of thing you need to do during the exam. Take a look at the diagram, start making notes about what you think is working, what isn't working. So on that, so just going back a second to this list, so I didn't, I didn't spot that at first. So that's all on one server. So 
of these, which is the most resource hungry, I'd say, first of all, web server. You wouldn't really want the web server. I think DHCP and DNS domain controller can be the, one, can be the same machine, I would think. There's not a lot of resource and processing going on, so I'd say that can stay as dot two. Um, file server, again, if that server goes down, you can't store or retrieve anything, and it probably needs to be a bit more protected. So I'd, I'd probably have file server being another one, so dot three, for argument's sake. Um, print server, again, you could run a print server. It's not resource hungry. A print server could be a Raspberry Pi or similar. So print server could be dot four. Um, web server should be its own device. Web server can get really busy. If you've got a re reasonably busy website, that thing is, is crippling your internal domain because people are trying to download stuff. Why is dot two different to dot four? So on the, the domain itself, the actual machines, So on a plus C machine, that's your <coughs> sort of root address, 192.168.1. And obviously I've got available 0 to 255 yeah. addresses. It's the, it's the third octet, the one. Is that the network? So you could have, if it was a two, that would be a separate network. No, with, with a class C, you've only got access to that fourth octet. Okay. That, that remains fixed. Four is zero. Well, that can be changed. I mean, that, that sort of doesn't matter. You can have some networks that are zero, etc. But that, generally, those three are fixed on a class C network. This is, this is a class C public network, so you can still use these somewhere else. But effectively, um, each one of these, obviously, these are all zero to two five five, etc. Now, if I, if if we had a class B network then those last two octets are available. And it's obviously exponentially, it's, it's um, 255 times 255 is available. So you could have, if it was a class B network, you could have 10.10.1 dot something, all the way up to 255 times you know, 255. So you've got all those different combinations of, of networks. But on a simple class C network, and the thing is, like, in, in the college here, they only use a class C network, but they, I think they use multiples of it. So they have them, a class C network for one building, another one for another building, for another building. So they've got up to 250 odd machines per building within that. Um, and basically, it gets down to, so this network, you've got obviously, as Kester said, you've got an octet or eight, eight bits of data that can be manipulated. If, and then that, that's what the DHCP assigns. So it says, you know, zero, one, zero. Did you do this with David or not? A little bit. So the, this stuff is, um, what have we got? One, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, one, That's basically one to the power of, or two to the power of zero. 2 to the power of 1, 2 to the power of 2, etc. Yeah. Because it's binary, it's, it's either off or on. So if that is on, it's obviously 1. So the address is 161.1.1. .1 .1. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, if that one's on, then it's obviously two. And then combinations thereof, if those two are on, it's three. So that's how the address is worked out. So the actual, the machine only knows this last octet, which has been assigned to it, and the combinations of these will be, so if I've got one, 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 zero, 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 obviously I've got 16, is it? 8, 12, 15. Yep. Yes, no, maybe. Do it again. So IP addresses are made up of these octets, eight bits. So an IP address is these, basically eight dot eight dot eight, these zeros. If, now the computer's only dealing in binary, it's either, it's either on, which is a one, or it's off, which is a zero. So if the packet signal comes through and it says, this one's on, this one's on, those are all off, then it adds up to three. So that IP address is 192.168.1.3, because the last octet just says 1100000. One, zero, 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 zero. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And so that, and again, this is what the computer's seeing, and we've made it slightly more simple. The computer sees 32 ones and zeros, and it adds up to, so whatever one night, uh, so 128, so I can't remember this stuff. Who's good at maths? So 192 is, uh, obviously going to be 128, 118, that's 192, isn't it? So that's that. Yeah. So that address is uh, 0000011 is 192. And then whatever 168 is, or whatever, and one is obviously just that one, 0000. And then you've got zeros or ones in any combination across that to make up the last addresses for each machine. So every machine goes, in its, in its address is given those eight bits at the end and it's going to be either zeros and one in some sort of combination to add up to a maximum of 255 or 254. So that's what you're changing when you're talking about a different server? Yeah, so what I'd recommend is, or what you'd recommend is, so assigning an address with the DHCP saying this address, and you'd make it um, fixed so nobody else could use it. So dot two is going to be a file server now. Dot three is going to be this. Dot four is going to be this. But Obviously, they've assigned that to the WAP. Is that a virtual one, or is it...? No, it's not virtual. It's, it's fixed. So you, you basically say that if any... if if a machine comes into the network, you have these pre-assigned address, like, like the, the wireless access protocol has been assigned address number 10. No one else can use that. That won't be assigned by the DHCP no matter what. It's just fixed. And if the network all went down and came back up again, it automatically assigned that 10 to that device again. And it's based on, I don't know if David Denny on this, it's based on the MAC address. Wouldn't you need multiple servers in a server rack? But they wouldn't have to be in a rack. Like I'm saying, the, a mail, for a small organisation like this, you could use a couple of Raspberry Pis or even old computers. Uh, they don't need a lot of processing power. So they wouldn't necessarily be in a rack. Now, ideally, in terms of recommendation in, in efficiency, it might be worth saying, I'd recommend, if they've already got a rack for, for this server that's running all this stuff, they might just put extra servers in. Um, but again, it depends on the expense of it, because each server's at least £1,000. So would you spend that? if they could do it reasonably cheaply and efficiently. And this is why, in terms of advice, you're saying to them, 
you need to break this network, these network processes down into different devices, right? Um, from an efficiency point of view, if one device is doing one task, it's going to be far more efficient than this one server that's doing everything. And from a security and efficiency point of view, if one of these breaks, or if, if the server goes down at the moment, they've lost everything, haven't they? It's all on everything, all the eggs are in one basket. So that would be a recommendation. Now, again, I'll come back to it in a second, whether that's a recommendation you make. At this point, I think you just need to understand the scenario, because when you come back to task three, you've got to write a fairly detailed report about what you would do about this. So then you start saying, well, exactly that. You've got no firewalls, so the security is very poor. Generally speaking, and again, I think I mentioned this before, but web servers, if, if people use Apache, Apache is an open source package. It's open source, which means people are looking at it all the time. They're looking for and finding bugs and security problems, and they're fixing them. Most people, though, again, in a small organization like this, somebody would probably come in, they'd say, oh, just to install Apache, it works really well. They'd install it, it works. They'd walk away from it, they'd never look at it again. Now, the problem, is, the problem with that is that people that are working on Apache constantly, it's a big foundation that runs Apache, they're fixing bugs on it all the time and improving it. But if you don't update it, they find these security holes. All of a sudden, you've got this security hole on your main server. Somebody comes into the web server, they get escalated rights because of some bug that's in there, and they go in then, they change the domain name system, they take control of your domain, all of a sudden, you're under attack. If it's isolated, if the web server gets under attack, they're not going to get into your internal network because that's on a physically different machine. Does that make sense? So I just think having everything on one, and a lot of people do that in small organisations. Separate the main ones from the least. I think would make more sense, yeah. Um, and again, in terms of priorities, um, the web server is and the mail server, they're really important. Um, they probably should be on their own device. All right, so then we've got the internal network. So again, this is using 24 the 20 slash 24 means it's using every bit of the actual subnet uh, criteria, so everything's available. Having said that, DHCP has obviously pre-assigned, this is starting at 101, so they've obviously said you can use any address as long as it's not 0 to 100. And most organisations will do that because they do need you know, dedicated machines for certain tasks. Um, and if you, if you didn't do that, somebody would come in and they'd grab, you know, the DHCP would assign them address 10 and all of a sudden you've lost your wireless because the wireless is expecting to work on that. Right, so that's all the... And again, you've got a physical cable here, so these workstations are all connected through what type of cabling? It doesn't tell us here, but we assume... Ethernet. Ethernet, and it probably it doesn't tell us the speed, but it's probably going to be 100 megabit, hopefully. And again, if it is 100, if it says in here later on, we'll see... And a recommendation or a thought might be to, to improve the speed of that. Remember that remember the network cabling breaks down uh, after a third. So you've only got a third of the capacity continuously. So a 100 megabit connection is only going to be 30-odd. A thousand is going to be 300, which at some point isn't going to be that usable, maybe. Uh, then finally, we've got 10 laptops, which are, judging by the symbol, wireless only. I swear big servers, they have multiple... Well, big servers will own, probably only ever have one um, internet interface card, maybe two. 
if you look at the one that's over, have a look on Friday, but you look at the one over there that you're working on, there's only, I think there's only two network connections on it. You only, that's why you switches. So you, the server connects to a switch and that does all the switching because the server doesn't need that load on it. If the server had multiple sort of internet cards, it'd be doing a lot of processing unnecessarily. So that, it, again, it's handing off jobs to other devices to do things more efficiently. Um, and yes, a server will do everything, but is that the best use of resources? Bear in mind, now again, we don't know the spec of this server, but this server, um, a web server, a very busy web server uses huge amounts of RAM. Right, so this server, if it's running a web server and all these other functions and file serving and, and email, the, the RAM's probably right at the max and it's probably struggling because it's got no resources left, maybe. Uh, so then 10 laptops. So the, the actual workstations, they've got 20 workstations that have been signed, 1 to 20. Um, and then we've got laptops, 10 of those assigned 121 to 130. Now, again, to make a note on this on this diagram for the exam, just to think about over the weekend. Um, you know, they've also, in brackets underneath, got 30 hot desk users. So presumably 30 to 60 is additional addresses. They've got, of the, so 100 addresses are reserved, so they can't be used. That leaves 150-odd. Um, and they're using quite a few of those on workstations and laptops. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 of those. So they've got, you know, whatever number's left. So in terms of expansion, internally, this company has got some headroom for growth, but maybe not enough. All right, so that's task uh, uh, document A. Any questions on that one? Document A. Why is address 102 on the workstations? 102? So there's the two in the box, the bottom yep. one. There's 102 at the start. Oh, 121, you mean? The 102. Yeah, in this box. Yeah. That's external, isn't it? Oh, sorry, that's the other one, isn't it? Wrong room. Ah, right, sorry, with you now. So on we're on document B then, aren't we? So this is the York office. Um, I think he's talking about A. No, on A. Oh. Okay. The bottom one is external, is it? So the top one's internal, the yes. bottom one's external. So the top left box, this one. Yeah. The bottom one in the box, the bottom IP address, is, starts at 102. On yours, does it? Yeah. Oh, oh of course, I see. Oh, that's a typo. Okay. I couldn't even see that. I kept looking at it, I couldn't see what you're talking about. Yes, 102. That's a typo. And I'm, Oh, uh, no, hold on a minute. Uh, yeah, that is a typo. How strange. Well, that's, I think, unless they're just saying that it's 101 to 102 to 120, but that, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, it's a typo. What about the router's address? What, uh, that starts at 56. Yeah, that's to, to go to the outside world. So that's the sort of gateway address. So... You've got no control over that. It should be the same on the other diagram, shouldn't it? I guess. Well, maybe not. What's the rules for external addresses then? The rules for well, so the external address is given to you by your internet service provider, right? So when you 
when you dial up to it through your router, your router is given an address, an IP address, and says you're now part of our network and you can use our network resources and our network goes out to the cloud or the internet proper. So that's just the, uh, the address that the um, internet provider's given you and there's hundreds and thousands of routers with different addresses. Yeah. And on that one, so that's probably a Class A network, which has got, I think, 16 million different possible addresses. Which is sort of running out, but anyway. So they use it if you have problems with your router, and um, they'd be like, plug it into the blue one. I'm probably that's what they said to when we had ours and it went down and it wasn't working. He said plug it into so there's the yellow ones, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's blue. There's a singular blue one, um, and he said plug it into the blue one, and then it shows up on it. Uh, system. Okay, so it's a diagnostic tool. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, but if if. In terms of if, what it would probably mean, Kester, is if, if you, so the, the, the internet service provider or your, your service provider where you buy your web domain from, your domain address, will have assigned you, basically when you buy something, like Louis bought his address, and he then had to assign an IP address to that address so that if anyone looks for that www.blahblahblah.com, it will say what physically that exists on. So willow.blahblahblah, will be assigned to 56.76.blah, blah, blah, right? Oh. So if somebody types in Willow, the DNS on the, in the cloud will say, oh, that's 56.76, and it will send them to that router. Okay. So that's what it means. Then that router will get that address and say, oh, this is web stuff. I'll send it to 1.2, because that's got the web server. Now, if you modify that and change the web server to a different address, you'd have to change things internally to say any web traffic comes, you'd have to say to the router, this is now the address of the web server. It's not dot two anymore, it's dot four or dot five or whatever. And if you, if you can try this, if at home, you'd have to have a fixed IP address, but you can run, I mean, I, I run my own mail server and web server at home, um, but I pay for, I've got a business account, so I've got a fixed IP address. So my out on the outside world, I've got a fixed IP address, but when I create a domain name, I say that domain is that IP address, and that IP address is this physical machine in, in my house. Right. Anything else on here we need to consider on document A? Are there any patterns for the external um, like router? Would it change? Like, yeah, I think it's, again, I think that is an address that's been given to the company by their service provider. So, yeah. for, in order for them to use the internet, they need that address. Yeah, it does. It says on there. If again, if you if you have a look at your your router's admin software, you'll see it will say there'll be a section which says here's your one nine two dot addresses. How do you want to break it down? Do you want to make it subdomains or whatever? And then it will say, here's your external router address, which is will be something like 56. I think mine's 37 dot whatever. Um, but again, on the outside world, how do you get to the internet? The internet has to make you, or your internet company has to make you part of their network so you can use their resources. You're not part of their network, but you're, they're giving you an address within their network. And that's how you get out to the outside world. Right, so that's the Southampton office, document A. Then document B, um, this is the York office. Now, they've, they've got a slightly different uh, IP address for their internet connectivity. 
So they've got 34.78. Now that could be an issue, I don't know, but that could be an issue of why they're getting internet connectivity problems because they're not on the same internet service provider. So they're not on, they're not on the same physical network. They're on this slightly different one. Um, so in order for, if you think about it, so in order for the York office to talk to the Southampton office, they've got to go through a lot of jumps, haven't they? They've got to go from one provider to another provider, back to the other provider. And there's, all, there's just different layers to go through in order to get from A to B. Can't you use um, like wide access protocol, whatever it's called? Wide, wide area network access. Wide area network. Yeah, Possibly, yeah. For like businesses and everything like that. And you yeah. spread over and connect from, like, from one end of the town to the other end of the town. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just in looking at the IP address, I mean, it might be the same provider that's just given them a slightly different address, but if they don't have the same address externally, yeah. there's just another layer of complication they don't need. So really speaking, they should probably get the service provider from the Southampton office to provide a router for the York office, which is on the same network. Yeah. That would solve a lot of problems. Can't they configure it themselves? They should be able to, yeah. I mean, again, if you if you buy um, a router from your service provider, you know, um, you could ask to have another router for the same office, really, I suppose, uh, that would be remote. But again, it would have to be by the same provider because it would have to be same physical network. So that's one possible... And again, I don't know, but it looks to me that having separate network is an issue. If they had the same provider, they'd have a router that talked to another router on the same physical thing. This is a logical one. It's just set up that way. So they're not talking to each other. Now, the other thing is they've got, um, their, they've got a wireless router rather than a sort of physical router, haven't they? A proper sort of router, rack-based router. Um, so I just think that's a problem, I, I think. They've, they've got the separate network, physically separate. They're not on the same provider, which makes things a bit difficult. Um, and it may be that the provider they're using is is an unreliable provider. You do get them, don't you? Some, some, if you're some of the um, service providers, you get a, a really bad service. They're up and down sometimes. Uh, now they've 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 set their network internally to a slightly different address. That could also be an issue, not necessarily. But again, they've used dot two dot whatever, um, and they've got the same thing so they've got 250 odd machines available they've got 10 workstations there on this dot two address uh, and five plus 20 hot desk laptops on the wireless but i think the main issue there might be we can come back to this in a minute but the, the main note to make i suppose is that that ip address is different which means it's different could be theoretically a different service provider which could be an issue long term so wouldn't it be safe enough? Because it classes another safety net. Because if um, if this is a different server and a different IP address, it's point two. If this one happens and there's an attack on this one, it won't refer or it won't have anything to do with the main HQ. That's true. Yeah, I mean that's a consideration, isn't it? It does give some some isolation to the network itself. And again, at the moment we don't know what the situation is. There might be some more detail here, but. Since it's a remote network and a fairly lightweight one controlled by a, a wireless router, which isn't particularly secure, and because it's a wireless router, again, you, you, could, you could do a, an attack on it, a man-on-the-middle attack, and get onto that router and get into the network. But you're right, maybe if 
that network isn't physically connected to the other one and it's a slightly different IP address and all that stuff. It may be that it's isolated. So that could be a consideration. So, and this is the thing about balance, isn't it? It's about convenience versus risk. So it's making those decisions. Don't they say about them using a VPN to connect to each other? They do, but we've, I haven't seen any evidence of it here yet. So I don't know how that's set up. The VPN could be part of the router. It could be on that server. Well, we'll see if there's any detail maybe, here. But I don't um, think there is. Maybe the wireless router on this one is connected to the um, to the wireless one on this side instead of the actual router. It could be. Again, there's no de evidence of that, is there? And again, that's a physically different address. It's dot one, the other one's dot two. But that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, doesn't that mean that they're paying for an They, you can change that internally anyway, I think. It's not, no, a, a B is the first two octets. Class C, you can have. It's not, I don't think it's like, like when you have systems, it's just that automatically assigned to when you get it, but you can end up changing it. You can you can change you can change that third octet, but you can't you can't you can make that you can make that whatever you want because it's not going to change. Those those first three are fixed. If it's fixed at two, three, four, five, doesn't matter to some extent. But you can't you do anything about it. it, if it, it. I think some people just like having a different number. The thing is, if most internal organisations will use a class C network, which by default right. is one nine two one six eight one. So if you know that. It's easier to organise, and it just—it's a reference standard. But if, for security reasons, if I say, well, I know, I know that everyone out there knows that it's dot one. If I change to dot two, they'll be trying to attack dot one and never get in. So it may be a security issue thing. Does that make sense? So again, it doesn't—it's it, the machines at the end are the ones you can attack. The last four, the, the fourth octet. But if you've got—if you set it dot two dot whatever, people are attacking dot one, and they're not getting anywhere because it doesn't exist. So it may be a security thing. I don't know. Again, there's not enough detail in here to say. So externally, it's uh, fixed, but internally you can change it. Yeah. And on your home network, you could change it to dot two or dot three or dot four if you wanted to, as long as everyone else, everything else internally knew that. And it would make it slightly more secure because everyone would think it's going to be dot one something and I can attack dot one and they'd be just wasting their time. So that could be a consideration based on what Bailey was saying about security. Maybe that's why they did it, because it's, because it's less secure and it's a virtual office and everything else. If they make it dot two, people will be attacking dot one and not getting anywhere. So that may be a security thing. Would it help the York one if they had a wireless access point, like the connectivity in the York one? It might do. And again, it, it, it's, it depends on the, the type of machines. Obviously, you can get cheapo ones, which wouldn't do a great deal, but... Um, the more money you spend, the more security elements you've got built into the software. So, but that's a decision, I think, for task three, saying how would you improve these things? So that's something to bear in mind to think about for the next one. Uh, so getting back, provided with uh, diagrams, control document A and B that show the current network configuration. So that's what they currently want. This will allow you to troubleshoot issues and plan your changes to the network. Right, so we're supposed to make some notes on this and say what currently exists and what can be done about it. So those are some things we've talked about, I suppose. Um, you also have a top copy of the current configuration page, control document C. Let's have a quick look at this. 
Right, so currently enabled. Right, first line. So they've enabled uh, HTTP using TCP protocol. External IP is a wildcard. That means any external IP will work. Right, so the star symbol means that anything is a wildcard. Now, again, what they could do... Well, you can address this bit by bit. So first of all, problem... Uh, with the first line. What's the main problem with that first line? Well, the, the, the external IP is a wildcard. Now, that could be an issue. They could actually fix the external, depending on the services, but they could fix that. If it's just internal, if the web server is just internal, it's just serving web pages between the organisations, they could fix the IP address to only allow it from 37.78.66. Yeah, on document B. So they could say only people from the York office can use this facility. But there's a bigger issue. It's not secure. Why? Because it's not got the X, so it's not encrypted. Yeah, it's just, it's just plain text. Anyone could grab, man in the middle attack, grab the text, going between these two things. Yeah. We've got all of their content. The, 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 now remember, the, 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 Southamp uh, the York office is going into Southampton office for all sorts of things. They could be going into getting their payroll, all of that stuff is totally unsecure. Um, so that's a real problem. So port 80 is just plain text. So they need, in a first instance, so you need to make a note there, they need to make that HTTPS. Does anyone remember what port HTTPS runs on? No, that's the email one. 50 is the DNS, isn't it? 53 is DNS. It's 443. So, again, that doesn't come up in the website, but if you put in portal through it, it's HTTPS. So the first note to make, I think, is on this, that it's just not secure. Now, on Bailey's point, I think, again, you could make a note and say that it may be, depending on the service, if that website is only internally serving stuff up, because websites are quite useful for, for serving up documents and things. It's just quite well structured. You could fix it to an IP address, which would be just the York address, but probably not in that instance. Now, the second one, I would say, or the second, two and three, again, those could be fixed only to the York office. Why, why? That's good and bad. So what's the advantage of doing that? If you just fix the email and um, email, just fix it to the York office. Well, you won't be able to email people out of the office. Yeah, if you're out on the road, you probably can't do anything. Um, but if they've got... The VPN, you could be out on the road, you could dial into and use those services still. So that may be a way of restricting email if you wanted to. Um, but again, we've got the service based on what Bailey's just said. If, the, if I'm out on the road doing sales and I'm using POP3, what does POP3 do? Do you remember? It like stores the email. Basically. Where does it store it though? I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I just know that it stores emails and then it receives it and it sends it. It, it does, well, POP3, if I'm, on, if I'm on the road, I've got my laptop, I'm on doing some sales, I'm out in Grimsby or whatever, I dial into the mail server on that particular machine or my phone, it downloads all the email to my device, whatever device I connect with, and then it deletes it from the server. Right? So, again, security-wise, that's probably a good thing. But if I do it on my phone, I then go out somewhere else and I haven't got my phone for whatever reason, I'm on my laptop, oh, that email, I had that really important email with my passwords. It's on my phone, I haven't got my phone. So what's the alternative? 
What's the other type of email system? Not POP3. Do anyone remember? IMAP. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yep. So IMAP, as a POP3, it holds your email and then downloads it whenever you connect to whatever device you're on, but deletes it. IMAP, it downloads a copy wherever you are, but it's always there. So IMAP would be more efficient, but IMAP's a slightly different port. So again, as a recommendation, you might move away from POP3, but you need to explain that. So POP3, POP3 will download to whatever device connects to it and then delete from the server. So it's not, not ideal. IMAP is a much better protocol. IMAP is allows you, and Gmail, if you use Gmail, just remember Gmail, allows you to connect anywhere, any device, and your email is always available to you. But it never deletes it, it just downloads a copy. Um, but again, there is, if you used IMAP, then you would probably use a secure version of it. So you need to look that up. I think it's, it runs on port 965 or something along those lines. So again, security, security. Uh, and then we've got SMTP, simple mail transfer protocol. That's the, the, what sends mail out, basically. That's all it does. So we need that. I don't think that needs to be changed. But again, there is a secure version of that. So you might consider that. In order, if they ask for recommendations, you might say that SMTP is reliable, but it may be moved to a secure version. Um, they've then got, so obviously we're using TCP. There are two types of protocols that, that work for sending packages. TCP is more reliable and it does checking. Right? So if you want to send stuff securely end to end and you want to make sure it got there, TCP is a better way to do it. So it does transmission checks and it sends CRC um, codes within the packages saying, did you receive this? Nope, send it again. Did you receive this? Nope, send, send package 55 again. I didn't get it, right? So that's much better for, for important information. That's a better way to go. UDP, Universal Data, uh, Data Gram Packages, they send stuff wherever. And if they get there, good. If they don't, who cares, right? So they're not as efficient. All right. It's just a better way to do things, I suppose, if you're not too bothered about whether it gets there or not. So, again, UDP, would you use that? And it's got sort of random IP addresses, no ports assigned. So basically anything else, they're saying, even though it's not enabled, they're just saying that they might send stuff through different things. So I think somewhere in this, this uh, practice document, they're going to ask you what, what you would recommend in terms of that. So it may be that you just say... For, if you recommend these other services, you might say, I'd, I'd recommend using TCP over UDP because it's more reliable and it does um, transmission checks. Do we have access to the internet for every single one of our ESP tasks? Probably every, every, everything except task four, maybe, I think, off the top of my head. We're allowed to search up stuff. I think you're allowed to, yeah. Copy and paste. Did it say? Actually, let me check. Yeah, so task one, the internet, uh, students should be allowed access to the internet to allow them to research and identify solutions. Yep. And if it's the same as this one. So these, for task one, it says the, so the student is allowed internet access to do research and identify the problems, and the student should prepare and submit a help guide and test plan document and an annotated 
document C. So you'll add stuff to document C, which task will be part of the submission. This is still task one, yeah. So it's an audit tasks that will be on the same, um, the same <clears throat> scenario. Yeah. yeah. So, so it'll, be, it'll be like this, but maybe a different company. Yeah. Very similar sort of stuff. So and this task, so document C is quite important. So this is you writing what add additional things you would add to this. So most likely it would be about IP addresses yeah, and going back on your point on security, yes. so you might make a note on this. So this document C it says is the the routers port forwarding, right? So, so some something comes into Willow on the router on on this page A, but it, it's actually destined for York. So what does it do? It comes in the router. The router says this is for Willow. It checks is is this the right address? No, no, we're not here. Send it back out through the cloud to 37 dot blah, 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 because that's part of the other one. And use the VPN, but all that doesn't mention it on here. Now, in terms of, so you've got internet access. So in terms of research, I think, you know, you've got to add stuff to this document. So we've identified that there's nothing specifically saying about the VPN. Is there, again, you're going to have to research on your phones at the moment. It, what, what would we use for ports and things for VPN? So if stuff comes in, looking for um, the office in York, where would it be directed? What would the VPN do with it? Are there any ports for VPN? Can we look that up? 1723. 1723. So it's got a very specific port, isn't it? 1723. Well, there's, there's, there's loads. There's 1723, uh, 1701. So you can probably specify it. TCP at 500, UDP Right, so those are default ones. So in terms of research, so on this document, you can write down what the VPN ports are, what the standard ports are. I guess you, right. the top one is PPTP, point-to-point point -point protocol. Point -point yep. So that's 1723. So, so on that document C, so it looks like that document C is quite a critical one. So. Uh, point to point protocol. So that's how does again it's coming in. So it's saying this is not part of my physical network. I need to somehow get this package from the Southampton office to the York office through all these different devices. So it's point to point protocol is saying well it's here to there because it is point to point, but they don't point to point tunneling protocol. Point to point tunneling protocol. Yeah. Yeah. So it replaces okay. the other T with the P, the left P. On this document, which I guess you submit, so you're adding these bits and pieces from your research. The 1194 is um, UDP. UDP. Okay. Right, so remember that's sort of not as efficient, or it's more efficient if it's not as reliable necessarily. Some packages might get lost. So, in terms of 
again, going back to the original scenario, they're having some unreliability issues. It may be, for argument's sake, that they're using UDP, which isn't particularly reliable. It doesn't send stuff through. If it doesn't get through, it doesn't check. It just sends it and hopes for the best. So it may be that they're using this rather than something that's actually going to do some error checking. So, so that may be part of the reliability. Would you use um, UDP for like spam mail and everything like that? I mean, it gets used quite a lot anyway because it is efficient. It's yeah. just very quick and efficient. They're, they're light packages, so they go through systems very quickly. But again, there is a, a downside to it. that There is no error checking, so the stuff might get lost and you might have corruption of data and things like that, and, and it wouldn't check. So that could be... In and that, that's why I'm wondering why they've given you this and very specifically put about UDP and stuff on. So I'm thinking maybe some of the unreliability issues are because they're using an unreliable mechanism. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, so we don't know the detail. The use stands for unreliable. Unreliable data packages. Yeah, yeah possibly. Um, okay. Uh, so what else do we need then? Um, are there any protocols for RAS? Since you're on the protocol list, might well, as well. It might be worth listing some of these down on this document because this is the sort of thing you need to do in the exam, isn't it? Uh, is there a protocol for RAS? So we've already, already identified that um, web services need to be HTTPS, don't they? So it's uh, 443. Um, three, three, eight, Thank you. Three, three, eight, nine. Actually, wait. No, I think that's, that's RDP. RDP, we might need RDP because it might come in from one office to the other. So RDP might be one worth mentioning. It's remote desktop protocol. Yeah. So, again, if you dial in and want to take control of somebody's machine because they're having problems, presumably from the Southampton office, somebody in York's having problems, say, can you fire up RDP and I'm going to dial in and take control of your desktop and see what you're doing. What protocol? What? Uh, 3389. 3389? Yeah. And TCP or? TCP. Okay. Um, anything else? So, DNS is 53. Now, DNS might be UDP if anyone's going to look that up. Again, it doesn't. I don't think it matters if the packages get lost. No, is I know it's port fifty-three. It's both. Both, okay. So both fifty-three. So again, probably sends it the most efficient um, method. Um, what else have we got? Email. We looked at, didn't we? Um, so email. I don't think they need to change it, but it's port 25, isn't it? SMTP. You could look for a secure one. And obviously we talked about IMAP as well, didn't we? IMAP is port one. No. 465 if it's secure. IMAP, what port? Um, nine. 993, okay. Oh, wait. I think that's right, isn't it? Uh, 993, and I think secure, yeah. uh, the secure version of this, I think, is 465, from memory. I think that works on two ports. That's two ports. 
uh, what I have. Yeah. 993 and... And um, 143. 143, okay. So I think 143 is the insecure, 993 is the secure port. Yeah. And again, it depends how it's set up. One key thing with security is you have to pay for and have you know, proper certificates that say this is a, a proper domain. So that's one other issue. So again, on, on this document, you can put quite a lot of stuff in, in terms of um, adding to this port forwarding. Now, port forwarding is stuff coming in, obviously, and saying, no, that needs to go here, which is obviously to the other office. All right, so... Um, design a test plan. Resolve the issue on the firewall configuration document. So this is the firewall configuration document, I guess. Uh, control document C. All right, so this is the firewall. So I think it is about security, isn't it? We said there isn't any firewall, but their firewall is built into the router. So this is your doc this is your main document in order to get marks on. Um, anything else? What services are on there? THCP. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that. I don't know if I don't I don't know on this document it's not clear is DHCP also controlling because it's not listed on the on the York office so are the York office using the Southampton office's DHCP in which case there's all sorts of levels to go through isn't there DHCP is that a port 67 67 I think that's enough in the time frame we've got Yeah, of course. Read it. Um, and it's obviously on the recording as well. All right, so, so that's quite key, that document there is, what are you recommending? And these are just recommendations in order to. So you've looked at the diagram, you've noticed some of the security problems, noticed some of the issues about breaking it all down. Uh, and then you're thinking about how do you make these two networks a little bit more safe? So one of the, maybe some of the unreliability is that... Um, that the system's just not efficient enough, the firewall's not working very well, the ports are in the wrong place. Some of the unreliability might be that the, because they're not using secure things, they're being attacked all the time, theoretically. All right, so, um, and you'll design a test plan. So the first part of it, uh, so look, using the information provided above and control documents A, B and C, you should investigate and identify the root cause of the issue and add your required steps to resolve the fault into the configuration page control document C. So you're looking at this and you're making recommendations on doc document C. All right, is there anything else? Um, presumably there's a port for, for wireless access protocol as well, I assume. Might as well put that on while we're at it. Wireless access protocol. Is it secure and is, is there a port IP? Port address, I mean. Mr. Protocol. I don't think it has one. Is it not? No, okay. It doesn't have one. Um, no, I don't. Now, one thing, I think I mentioned this before, but it's not necessary, but this is just an, an add-on add for this exam. Wireless 
tends to work on certain frequencies and the default frequencies at the moment are 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. Now, all wireless devices have that capability, but most people don't change the default, which is 2.4. Now, it means that if, if, if the office gets quite busy, then everyone is accessing that across the same frequency range and it means there's a lot of traffic going on. So it could be, this is just an aside, you could get them to set it to a different to 5 gigahertz as long as everyone knows that because you're then on a totally different frequency that nobody else is aware of. So that may be a more efficient way of isolating your wireless network from other people's and the, and the, the ones around you. I don't, and you probably see it if you walk into a building and you look for the wireless, you get about 50 different and people's iPhones and this, that and the other, they're all putting out the same frequency signal. But if you isolate it and use the 5 gigahertz signal, then it's a lot better. I have 5 gigahertz at home. Do you use it? Yeah, so there's one, um, we have 2. Point, I think 2.4. Yeah. 2.4 and 5. Um, but apparently one's for better for going through walls and stuff like that. Yeah, 2.4 is uh, it's to do with the wavelength. Yeah. So 5 is a, it's a shorter but it's more concentrated so you get better data with 5. Um, but 2.4 can go through walls a lot easier. So yeah. you might, so um, routers now have auto switching. Like most mm. of the sky routers have built in auto switching. So if you've got, um, so if you're like in your lounge, right next to your router, you're more than likely, your auto switch to five, where you'd have a better plan. But then if you're like, say upstairs, then you'd probably be on 2.4 instead of five. Mm. So mine are two separate ones. Yeah, so probably all, I guess bottom one's just switched, whichever's best. Um, so anything else? So now you should consider use of troubleshooting frameworks. I think you did that with David. Is it troubleshooting frameworks? Have you done that? So what's the method behind it, I guess? You know, so what... I mean, very, very simplistically, if you're... And if you've probably done this at home, you know, you, you start from the, the root thing, is, you know, is, is it switched on, that type of thing, you know, really basic things. Is the cabling in? A lot of times, if you've got networking issues, if you check the socket's loose, you know, the Ethernet cable socket's loose or whatever, or it could be that the router, that the, the wireless router isn't auto-switching between those or you set it to five and forgot and you're trying to connect it with 2.4 and it just doesn't know what you're doing. So that, that, that's really yeah. basic sort of troubleshooting. Now the other troubleshooting things in, in use of troubleshooting frameworks and the tools used, we did look at some of these. So what's in order to check network connectivity, what tool did we use? Do you remember? This is way, way back, wasn't it? In the Wayback Machine. Network. Yeah, network tools. How do we yeah, test? Tracer. Tracer was one of them, wasn't it? Has everyone got a picture of this? Yeah. Can I tip, wipe it off? Yeah, everyone? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before you do anything on the network, the first, the first yeah. real check, I think, against this would vary, but it's just a physical check. Are the network cards plugged in? Do they have the right drivers? Is it the right, you know, the operating system recognising it? You know, real you know, basic checks. Are the cables plugged in? Are the cables damaged? Remember that uh, cables, is it too far of a distance? Cables, Ethernet cables run out of steam after 100 metres. So it's just doing some physical checks. Now, the other part of that really is, you know, looking for damage, um, settings, configuration. One classic sort of problem is that you've you've misconfigured the, the network card. You know, you might have somebody might have might have manually tried to configure the card, 
against DHCP and assigned an IP address because it was available within that 100 range, um, and that's causing problems. So the, the DHCP is trying to grab it, and I'm, I'm supposed to pre-assign this address, but it seems like it's already got it. So you have all these problems between these different devices. So just doing a physical check of, is everything set up right? Is there any damage? Is things plugged in properly? All those fairly simplistic things. We can then do some uh, checks with different tools. So the first thing I think uh, would be just from end-to-end -end stuff. Can you do a, a packet internet grope or a ping check? Yep. So ping, basically, if you remember, we did it. Uh, it goes to the other device and it does it, well, with Windows, it does it four times saying, are you there? Yes. Are you there? Yes. Are you there? So it says what the IP address is. Uh, how long it took in milliseconds, were there any damage, how much was the packet loss, etc. And it gives you some stats saying, yeah, so if, if the ping test works okay, it means those two devices are talking to each other, so there's no problem between those different things. The next one then, as Kester said, then is tracert, or trace, tracer, trace route. And obviously tra that thing is, can I go from the Southampton office to the York office or, or vice versa. And again, with, with TraceRoute, if you're going from A to B, remember you're going through 30 or 40 different devices all over the shop. Each one of those, packet comes in, I'm, I'm from here, I'm looking for here. No, you need to go there, you need to go there. And each time it adds a bit of data to the package saying, I came from here, I'm going to there. I came from here, I'm going to there. As it goes through then, it's, this one will strip off where it came from until it ends up and then it goes back the other way. So if you do a trace, remember the trace route one, uh, tracert, it has a, a, a set number of um, jumps it will go through before it gives up. Do you remember what that number was? Uh, 30. 30 hops. Right, so it'll go. When it gets to the 30th device, and no, you've no chance of finding this, let's just delete it and, and stop it. Uh, any other tools you can use? Is it PFP? Nmap. Nmap. Nmap, okay. It's like ping on points. Um, <laughs> we had... I don't know, there are obviously alternative ones, but there's things like Wireshark, which are testing and looking for packages as they're going through the network and look at what they are and what, what's happening, what problems there are. Um, and this is about reliability, isn't it, they're, the problems they're having. Um, we could just do simple um, speed check. You can go, there's online websites telling you what your throughput is, what your download and upload speed is. You can probably check the actual um, wireless. You might be able to check, I don't know if there are, there must, or I assume there's some tools to check what the actual output of your wireless is, if the signal's strong enough or it is being deflected by walls. Um, as Wilfie said, the you know, wireless struggles to get through. If you go to some, not that any of you would, but if you went to some of these old pubs with big, thick walls, if they don't have an internal router, you're never going to get the outside world because they've got sort of three foot thick walls and it just can't get through. Um, NS lookup. NS lookup. Now again, you've got, you've got access to the internet, so you just say, what kind of diagnostic tools can I use for this particular scenario? And, just, and you just need to log them on, well, on this plan, I guess. So you've got this document C you need to write on. 
presumably. Well, it seems a bit old-fashioned in the 21st century, writing on this. You can't have a document you can type on, but anyway, maybe they'll change that. All right, so again, there's a range of checks you can do. Now, each one of those, and you've got to bear in mind through that, the, the key issue you're trying to address from the scenario, you need to go back and re remind yourself, is about reliability. So some of these checks are going to say, you know, are there physical or logical problems from end to end? Are there configuration issues that are a problem? Um, are addresses being checked? You know, you could check on... You might be having a, an unreliable DHCP server, for example. It might be failing for whatever reason. If it can't assign addresses, then when people are trying to use the, the internet, or they don't have an address to allow them to use the internet. So those are the types of uh, configuration problems. Oh, that's our time up. All right, we'll, we'll continue this later on, I guess. Okay.